Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. How are you? I'm great. Back from Disneyland, fresh. <laughs> Disney World, excuse Disney me. Disney World, excuse me. Yeah. What's the difference, really? It's in Orlando. That's all. <sighs> yes, I'm happy to be back. It's been a long month of travel. Yeah, it's true. An exhausting month of vacation. <laughs> right? It feels so silly to say that, to be like, oh, God, I've been traveling for a month. It's so exhausting, because, like, it was fine, but, yeah. and very fun. I had a really good time, but um, I am very happy to be home, you know? Yeah, for real. Yeah. Because it's just, it wasn't a vacation where you were relaxed. I mean, you were doing things all the time, right? No, I mean, it was it was good. It was relaxing at times. It was just hot as hell. Yeah. Orlando in July it? is real, especially in a heat wave. Goddamn. Ooh, yeah, like 96 and humid. It felt like 100. Like, it was it was terrible. <laughs> Feels like hell. <laughs> Feels That's like what it says Satan's on the weather asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I've got good news for you patrons who voted for option number two this poll for this coming august bonus episode because our option number three the station nightclub fire has won and we will get that one released next week on patreon as our bonus episode but good news for you guys who voted for trapped option number two because alex did not realize that i put that as one of the poll options and he chose it for this week so you guys get both of them (laughs) I know. I was, when we realized, I was like, uh, I'm kind of already like into researching it. No, it was, and, so, it uh, was totally fine. Like that one wasn't winning. And it was just so funny because I was like, oh, what episode are you going to do next week? And you were like, oh, I'm thinking of doing this one where a guy gets trapped and a blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, you're joking, uh-oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was it, it worked out and you guys are getting both. So that's there cool. There you go. Works out for everyone. But yeah, I was refreshing the poll. I was like, I hope there isn't a last minute surge here. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to cut it off. Yeah. But anyway, without further ado, that story is the story of Warren McDonald, who is an experienced hiker who has spent time hiking. Right. Really. An uh, experienced he, hiker who hikes. Right. He, he's done a lot of it. And he spends most of his time as an environmental activist to protect endangered habitats, which he hikes in. Love that. So he feels very strongly about it. And he's hiked some of the most remote places in the world and obviously loves to explore. He apparently is a renowned hiker in the Australian hiking community and is one of their, quote, best kept secrets. I didn't know that that was possible, but he is. What, According what you... to I Survived, okay. I didn't know they had to keep hikers a secret. Is there like a, a, a international hiking competition? Like I don't know. I guess maybe just like not enough people knew who he was. Oh. Or I mean, people know who he is now. Yeah, okay. So anyway, he's, uh, he's a big deal sure. in Australia, apparently. So he, you know, continues to pick difficult hikes and just wants to keep exploring. This is kind of who he is. And he picked... Hitchenberg Island as his next hike, which is at the northern tip of the Great Barrier Reef and is a protected wilderness and is incredibly untouched and rains a lot. I believe that it is a rainforest technically, so it's kind of like a small island with a lot of jungle and forest. Wow. So And untouched. So, like, are those trails kept very well? Yeah, I mean, people have gone there. It's not like he's the first one 
but it's very minimal. Like they've marked the trail okay. for some part and they've made kind of a trail map. And there is, I think that there's like a base camp, quote unquote, but it's really just like a flat area with a message box or it's like really minimal. And, you know, if you see somebody else out there, you see like one or two people. Okay. So not completely new, but very minimally touched. Anyway, it was the perfect place for him to explore, and he loved the sense of freedom that he got, kind of going where others don't. So he began the hike on this really remote island. It's so remote that there's only one ferry that goes to and from the island once a day. So if you miss the ferry, you're fucked. That sucks. Or you just have to camp. Jeez. So he took the ferry, and the one ferry, um, which I think is probably honestly just like a speedboat ferry quote-unquote i don't really know but he took it there and he touched down and just started hiking our second character geert van kulen is from holland he is also on hinchenberg island but for a completely different reason he likes to photograph and paint the wilderness and he gave up his desk job for this type of lifestyle because it was that important to him love that so he's on hinchenberg to take great pictures and relax be alone, and draw. They kind of did their own thing for their first few hours there, and then they bumped into each other on a beach where apparently Geert was sitting in the nude, like, on the beach drawing. (laughs) And uh, Warren saw him and was like, yeah, he looks peaceful. So he left him alone at first. But um, they met up later and made an instant connection. They were trading stories by the fire talking about all their climbing stories and they started to move towards a direction where Geert said that he was there to climb the mountain and get the view which apparently is impeccable top notch top notch so they start talking about it and he's like well do you do you want to hike together like it'd probably be safer and easier if we both did it together and Warren was like yeah I'll think about it did we just become best friends yeah (laughs) basically he was like yeah i'll think about it but like he already knew that he made up his mind yeah and they made up their mind to hike up the mountain most of the way the first day and then summit the second day and then come back down they were planning to like kind of follow the trails and get to that view yeah did they share a packet of red vines on the way up what does that mean that's from step brothers i don't know i don't remember all when they're like did we just become best friends what you I know that candy? part. Red vines. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly what the quote is, but <laughs> it's probably not. But oh. I do know they like red vines and they become <laughs> best friends and they share a bunk bed. <laughs> well, um, it's giving very that. This this story is sponsored by Twizzlers, uh, so they oh, shared no. Twizzlers. I mean, they basically just became best friends. But instead of like talking about dinosaurs <laughs> or drums, yeah. whatever Step Brothers was, they were talking about hiking. Um, I found this funny. The two set out early in the morning the next day to get a head start, and in classic guy fashion, not much was said. Oh my god. So I just started walking, and Geert remembers Warren as a get-it-done type of guy. Okay. So we get the vibe here. Right. He just wants to get to where they need to be. Yeah. So, like I said, their plan was to hike most of the way up the first day, camp, summit, back down. And Warren is just turning into a human gazelle on this hike because they're trying to follow the creek bed up because it's the most clear and when they have to go around the creek they have to go through the bush so they're bushwhacking which not great so they're trying to follow the creek as much as they can and there's a bunch of big rocks and he's just like hopping from one to the other and gear is looking at him like there's no way dude (laughs) 
there's no way I can do this. And he's taking kind of a more measured, careful approach. One to the other, jump, land, reset, jump, land. And he's taking a lot longer. And Warren would get out in front of him and then stop. And then he would try and let him lead. And then he would get out in front of him. So he's just like, I don't know. Frustrated. Well, I think he wasn't frustrated. He didn't want to pressure Geert. Sure, he wanted to let him like set the pace. Right, exactly. He's like, slowest sets the pace, but also... Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. But also, I'm move killing it. it right Respectfully, now. King, move yeah, it. Move it. Let's go. <laughs> and he said that he was actually surprised by this because he hadn't done that before, but it just kind of came naturally to him to just like keep moving and not stop. So they were doing a little rubber banding, if you will. Okay. And um, Geert wasn't mad at it either. He liked the challenge. He said in the documentary, he's like, well, I mean, if it's easy, why don't you just stay home? You know, so he likes the challenge as well, but. He just wasn't as gazelle-like as Warren. Geert actually slipped and fell a few times and almost got his camera submerged into the pool. He fell and he was like, take the camera. Yeah, I don't blame him. Those are expensive. Yeah. A lens alone mm -hmm. could be like thousands of dollars. Yeah, and so this is a 97 and the camera was 300 bucks. Okay. So So still expensive for that time, right? Right. Yeah. I don't don't know know what it is. but (laughs) What is the conversion? 25 years ago, shit. Oh, <laughs> realizes age at the same time. <laughs> Great year. Euro's born. Um, <laughs> Shut up. So basically what they were trying to do is that in the trail guide, it says, oh, if you follow the creek bed, there'll be a campsite. It's like a flat piece of ground. It's not much, but you'll be able to set up somewhere that's flat and dry, and then you can keep going the next day. Exactly. So they're looking for this campsite. And um, they keep following it, and there's some forks in in the road for the creeks, but they're usually marked by other hikers who had been there before them, and they just keep following the marks. And about five hours into the hike, they stopped and realized that they were probably lost because the fork in the road ahead of them wasn't marked. Oh. So they must have taken a wrong turn at some point, so they kind of stopped and took stock of where they were and realized that Also, they weren't as high up as they needed to be. And the problem with this was, I guess that they vend out like hiking permits for this island. So they only had a permit for a week. And they had spent enough time at that point to the point where they only had two or three more days left on the permit. So since they had both gotten lost, they both knew that they didn't really have enough time to go up and back down. Do they have a little bit of wiggle room for forgiveness for getting lost? <laughs> like, I guess Do not. the permits say, hey, you got lost, so now you have to pay a fine? Or like... I don't know. Like, they didn't talk about that, but I don't know. That's so Maybe weird. it's like... Maybe they enforce it by saying, oh, you messed up your permit. We're not going to give you another one Maybe. for some period of time. Yeah. They give you a little timeout. 
You're in timeout. You I don't, you're in bad, bad out. hiker. <laughs> bad boy. Yeah, I don't know. But from Geert's account, they kind of knew that it was over once mm-hmm. they had messed this up. The sun was starting to set at this point, and they knew that it was going to get dark really quickly. So they tried to find somewhere flat and dry, and they ended up finding a slab of rock as kind of their backup. And then Geert kind of sat down because he was exhausted. And then Warren went up both sides of the fork to try and find the campsite if it was, you know, within a few hundred feet or shouting distance just to make sure that it wasn't right there and they just missed it. Right. But he couldn't find it. And they eventually kind of settled on this rock as their place to camp. Mm, Very comfy. Yep. Slab of rock. So they found a nice slab of rock. (laughs) And um, they set up their tent and their... I think they called them thermo thermopad or something. Sure, like, but a, it's some, like an insulated sleeping pad kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So they put those bitches down and then... <laughs> so they put those bitches down. Right? And then... <laughs> then they fired up the... I don't know if they had a grill or like a little burner, but they made tortellini. Love that. Yeah. Give me some tortellini on my rock slab. Apparently it wasn't great, but they put little garlic, chili peppers salami and cheddar cheese and they just inhaled it oh that sounds amazing they both were like yeah it, it didn't really matter what it was yeah we were just so hungry we needed to eat that's so cool i wonder if it was like dehydrated food or like a can or something because i've been watching i've been keeping track of this uh couple on tiktok who've been hiking i think they're hiking all the way from like mexico to canada i could be wrong about that but they're they're shipping themselves like food that they dehydrated ahead of time it's it's so weird and cool, but they've like dehydrated all these different kinds of like foods and sauces and pastas and like rice and beans and all their like favorite dishes and they're just shipping them to themselves while they hike. Like they're hiking to like different postal services and like picking up their boxes of food. Whoa. Isn't that so cool? And they can carry like so much of it because it's dehydrated. That is really cool. Yeah. So they planned all this out. Yes. No, but I, well, I mean, you have to kind of plan out a hike like that. Like it's such an intense, like long journey, but I think they're having family and friends like send them their food along the way because they couldn't do it all at once. You know, they couldn't schedule it all at once. So their family and friends are like, okay, on this day, send us this to here because we'll be there by then. I mean, props to them because I could not plan that far ahead, but it sounds like they're living their best life now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just so cool. I was just wondering if they did the whole dehydrated thing or if that's like a standard for hiking or if it's just like whatever you can carry kind of thing. I well, I imagine because they had some raisins and like nuts and stuff. Yeah. I'm, and it also, it does... you said it was the 90s, like 97. Yeah. So it probably wasn't super like advanced as it is now. Maybe not, but I don't know. It seems like they're both into it and they sure. had like some really um, decent food. Yeah. Decent food and gear. So they were probably into it, but it sounds like they had bread and tortellini i don't know cool. how long it lasts or cheese yeah with, that wasn't refrigerated so they oh. had something that lasts and they had like salami so it's lunch meat um so it doesn't it does sound i mean they were only there for a week so i think most things would last that long anyway sure they're not planning that far ahead no so some time passed they kind of talked for a little bit and traded some more stories but then geert said i'm going to bed i've had a i've had enough sure like today was a lot Social battery is drained. Drained. Yes. 100%. So he goes to bed. Warren stays up a little longer, and eventually he has to go pee. So he has to go away from the creek, 50 meters, according to him. Right, like downstream, so you're not drinking your pee. 
that, but also I guess you have to go far enough away from the creek so that it doesn't seep back in. Okay. And the rule of thumb is 50 meters. Okay. Which is like a significant distance once you have to like go up out of the creek bed into the jungle at night in the dark. Interesting. The reason for this is contamination, but I guess the specific bacteria is called Giardia, which can only be cured with like a with a strong course of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So he had that once before, and he's not doing that again. Yeah. So he's crawling around in the dark going across the creek, and he gets up to the ledge and tries to kind of find a way up in the dark. And he's feeling his way around, and he finds a foothold, and he starts to pull himself up, and he hears a loud crack. And he doesn't even know really what's happening because it happens so fast. But all of a sudden, he just finds himself screaming out in pain. And Geert hears this blood-curdling scream, and he has no idea what's going on because he's asleep. He wakes up. He's like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, get over here. And by the time they both get there, it dawns on them what had happened. Yeah. This enormous boulder that he was trying to climb up had fallen out and crushed his legs. Oh, no. He described the pain as something that he couldn't even imagine was possible. It was so intense. I mean, I... I I can't imagine either. I can't even wrap my head around what that actually feels like because you're crushing your entire lower half. Yeah. Like your bones, your muscles, your everything. Yeah. Oh, God. When it fell, it pretty much fractured his femur on impact and then broke both of his legs. Right. Right. So is it a big... Big, big, big boulder? It's big, big. It was estimated to weigh about one ton. Oh, no. Yeah. Not a ton. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So I can imagine that it didn't just, like, snap his femur. It probably, like, shattered the bone. Like, that's really bad. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, You could say that. You could say it's It's bad. It's bad. (laughs) I mean, they both just tried to push the boulder off, and they're using so much exertion and they both feel like they're ripping themselves apart. Yeah. But it just doesn't budge. God, and I don't think you can Aaron Ralston your way out of that one. No. Both of your legs? Yeah. And I mean, it was over his knees. No. So it's pretty Ooh. much almost all of his leg. Right. Yeah, because your femur is, you know, knee to hip, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I actually have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's your biggest bone, your femur. Okay, yeah. sure. Right. <laughs> okay. I knew that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um. But the other thing I thought about is, thank God it didn't crush his nuts. Uh, oh my you know God. what I mean? That's what you're thinking? No, I didn't think that until I read his book. Okay. But how lucky is that? Very, I guess. But, but unlucky. But, but lucky. Do you bro, understand? I do, but also that's not... Yeah, no, it's lucky. It's lucky. I mean... That would have added, I'm sure, a whole nother layer of pain. You know, a little gratitude. Sure, just pull out your gratitude journal. <laughs> um, That's so bad. Yeah, so he's fucked. Um, yeah. On top of it all, it starts pouring rain. Of course it does. Why wouldn't it? Right, and he's in the middle of the creek bed. Oh, no. So the creek bed was dry on their way up, but now it's starting to fill up. Yeah. And... It rises about four inches to the point where his waist is almost submerged. Oh, no. His waist? See, you and I have a different definition. definition. I'm talking about, like, the hips. Okay. Yeah. That's still bad. That's only a couple inches of difference. (laughs) That's bad. Yeah. 
But the most eerie part of it all is that it's a mountain, right? So there's water accumulating on the top that's rolling down. And they can hear the rumble pick up as the rain keeps pouring. Like a flash flood almost? Yeah. Well, it's just the sound. Yeah. But they know that a flash flood's possible. Right. And the waterfall that they can see was really tame, but now it's starting to gush. Oh, my God. And then they can hear that rumbling in the distance. And they're days away from, like any kind of civilization right oh yeah they, they've like slept overnight like twice now yeah pretty much you would need or more a than a full day to hike out jeez so you know this reality's dawning on him and he's completely trapped and they frantically try to come up with another plan so he just starts directing gear he's like you need to go get a lever and you need to kind of try and lift this things off of me so Geert goes and finds a stick And he wedges it under the boulder, and they both just start pushing with everything that they have. It takes them a few minutes, and they move the rock a little bit, like maybe an inch. But in retrospect, the only thing that they did was make it settle in further. Oh, I was worried about that. Yeah, and then the stick snapped. Of course it did. It's a ton. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a boulder. (laughs) It's a rock. Just take it and push it somewhere else. (laughs) The pioneers used to ride these babies for miles. I don't know why they couldn't just get on top and ride it away. (laughs) The SpongeBob reference is coming in hot. Um, So Geert goes to get another bigger branch. He's trying for a whole tree, like a sapling. And he's looking around, trying to find one. And he's trying to figure out how to cut it down because he doesn't really have any gear. The only thing he has is a saw on the end of his Swiss Army knife. Oh, and that it's pouring tiny rain. little saw? Yeah. For a tree? Yeah. No, no. But he's so hyped up on adrenaline, he just starts sawing it. I don't blame him. And the handle fell off and absolutely sliced his hand open. Oh, he didn't my. even feel it. Oh, and so he's cutting and cutting and cutting. And after a while, he gets it to fall. And then he comes back and they start doing the same thing. And still no luck, still no luck. They try for, you know, 20, 30 minutes until they completely exert themselves. And eventually this one snapped too. So not much luck moving the boulder. Their third plan was to find as many rocks as they could, the size of about a softball that they could wedge under the rock and then use that with the lever. So Geert starts running around trying to collect as many of these as he can. And he gets back and Warren starts taking one rock to shove under and another to hammer it in. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard because there's four inches of water in the creek. So he's not really hitting it with his full force. Right. But he is getting some of the way under there. So he's making progress getting a rock under. Geert goes to find another lever and basically just, I don't know, WWE smackdowns this sapling and snaps it off. Oh, okay. It was a eucalypt. It was a eucalyptus okay say one more time it was a eucalyptus it was a eucalyptus sapling that he just tko'd and then (laughs) sure so warren's working on the rocks hammering them in and then geert is levering they actually manage to lift it up enough for warren to pull himself out about four inches wow i was not expecting that i mean i guess he kind of had to at some point get out from underneath but that's just the two of them with those like couple things just enough i mean basically he's scraping the skin off of himself but at least he's like at least he's making progress yeah 
oh god trying to pull yourself out i'm sure that hurts just as bad yeah he he said he it felt like he was gonna rip himself into pieces i can believe that yeah oh yeah they keep trying and trying and trying and after all that really all they accomplish at the end of the day is they got him out a little bit and then shifted the weight to his other leg because they wedged in on one side and were levering on one side and it just moved the boulder. Right. So, I mean, he screamed out again and had to adjust to the new pain. And eventually they had to kind of come to the reality that Geert was going to have to hike out in order to save Warren. Yeah, try to find help. Yeah. So Warren recalls that at that point, the fear factor, quote, definitely increased for me. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think so. It was it was really funny because when he's describing it, it he's understating it so much. It's funny, but well, you said he was like classic guy, like well, we're not gonna chat, <laughs> no small talk. Yeah. So now he's like, oh, I'm not scared. Yeah, that's that's kind of who he is. Yeah. But I just found it really interesting, and so it's still dark out, right? It's the middle of the night. Geert's trying to do anything he can to make Warren as comfortable as humanly possible. So he gave him a jacket to keep him warm, moved his bed from the slab to where he was so he could kind of sit back and not have to lay back into the creek. Okay. And there wasn't really much he could do other than that. He kind of sat there like rubbing his shoulder and they weren't really saying anything because what do you say? Yeah. Luckily, the rain did subside and the water level kind of went back down and the waterfall stopped gushing as That's much. Good. So we got some good news at this point. Yeah. But they needed a new plan, and they were kind of despairing at this point. And all of a sudden, they hear the roar of an airplane oh. in the middle of the night. Interesting. Geert springs into action, trying to gather as much kindling as he can, and he hands Warren a candle, and he's like, you're going to light this shit on fire and then light the kindling on fire, and hopefully we can signal to this airplane and they were hoping that the airplane would see the fire and then notice, hey, you actually can't start a fire on this mountain. It's illegal. Mm. And they would see it as a distress signal. So they keep frantically trying to gather these sticks and start the fire. And they do start the fire. But by the time it gets lit, the plane's long gone. Right. And it probably wouldn't have been looking for them. It's dark. It's the jungle. And they might not have actually reacted to the smoke even if they had seen it. But yeah. they both had this shock of hope, and were just ripped back to where they were. Yeah. They knew that Geert was going to have to hike out at this point and decided that he would leave at first light because if he started in the dark, it would be a suicide mission. You can't see the rocks. He would probably slip and fall and kill himself as yeah. well as Warren. And who knows even what's out there lurking in the darkness. I oh, mean, 100%. Most like, predators and stuff like that hunt at night. So This is true. But my guess is that there's not as many apex predators because it's an island. Oh, maybe. I don't know. So I actually don't know what kind of wildlife is there, but insects, everything else. I mean, it's Australia, so. It's, yeah. Something. <laughs> so many things can kill you there. Something's going on. Yeah. You know? So Geert tries to get some sleep and prepares to leave at first light, pretty much. He was really nervous that morning as he got up and the responsibility of what he was about to do really dawned on him. He looked around at the jungle and said it looked really, quote, mean and spooky, which I feel like you would relate to. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a, a fair assessment of the jungle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mean that made, and spooky. Yeah, I was like, 
this is a Steph quote. <laughs> so Geert packed up. He gave Warren all the supplies he could give him. Gave him a toothbrush, food, a cup for water, and he gave him a notepad and a pen. And he packed up his gear, and he said that he kissed him on the forehead. I literally... Okay. <laughs> As you were <laughs> listing all the things that he was giving him, in my head I was like, and he kissed him on the forehead, and he went on his <laughs> way. But then I was like, don't make that joke, that's insensitive. And I, I no. wasn't going to do it, and then you said, and then he kissed him on the forehead, and I... Swear to God, I was just thinking that. But sorry, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. In their memoir yeah. or their book, this is what they said. So he kissed him on the forehead, shook his hand, and set off downstream. Yeah. He actually slipped and fell in the first hundred feet that <laughs> he, he was walking. Still within like like sight of Warren. Oh, yeah. Definitely within earshot. <laughs> yeah. And Warren screamed and he was like, hey... I don't care how slow you go. Yeah. Make it out. Yeah, seriously. It doesn't matter. If you get stuck, then we both are dead. Yeah. I actually forgot to mention this, but he did tell him before he left. He said, I can do one night, but I don't know if I can do two. Warren? Like yeah. the guy who was pinned? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he's going to have to do at least one. Ooh, so sure. I'm sure that this fed into Geert's mental state. I'm sure. I mean, but you can said, go slow, but don't go too slow. But, I know. But... Go fast, but don't trip, but don't trip. <laughs> Slow and steady, but also there's a deadline. Right, correct. So he got up and said that he was okay immediately, but trudged on and eventually was out of Warren's sight. And it really dawned on him the lack of control that he had over the situation because he had been so self-reliant and freedom had really been a core value of his life. And now his life rests in the hands of this guy that he met a day ago. Yeah, and Geert, is he a professional hiker or like, because you just said that he quit his job to become a nature like photographer artist. He's, so I'm sure he hikes, but like, he's probably not as experienced as Warren. I don't think so. That's not what it sounded like. But he has done some serious hiking. Okay. And there's a couple of stories where he got lost and had to kind of be saved by his partner or they kind of had, I think there was one story where he was in one of the mountain ranges near Holland. I want to say it was the Alps, but I'm not sure. But they got trapped and had to like set up camp where there was kind of a river like running under it mm -hmm. and wait out the night in the cold and then hike out. Okay. And he's, I think one of his most impressive hikes was he did 25 miles through like really rugged terrain. But this is all to say that he's no slouch. Okay. I just think that he's not as good as Warren. Sure. Who's... Australia's best kept secret, if we remember. Right. So he's no slouch, but I mean, this hike is brutal. Yeah. He's got no, pretty much no sleep. And I mean, he's got to do it Fast. in a day. Yeah. Like you have no time to really sit down and look at the nature and no. draw pictures. Yeah. So he started making his way through the jungle. Critters are everywhere, sharp finds, plants at every turn blocking his way. He said it's just like it's designed to kill you. Yeah. Which it is. It's the australian bush no yeah like that sounds really spooky to yeah. me really mean and spooky really mean and spooky me. yeah so i mean he desperately just wanted to get to the end but constantly tried to stay focused and aware because slow and steady wins the race but also quick but also fast and furious nine <laughs> correct at times he really rushed it and made a few mistakes and he would fall down or fall down like uh what do you call it a cliff like a hill Sure. At one point, he fell off a slab of rock into a pool of water, 
Luckily, there was enough water to not break any bones or sprain his ankle or give him an injury that would prevent him from keep going. You know, like snapping his neck or something yeah, like that. something like that. You know. And he kind of struggled into the water and stood up and it was about at his waist and he just felt so stupid because he kept taking the easiest path instead of the safest path and he really learned his lesson. He's like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take it easy. Yeah. Take it easy. And to test him further, at one point he was walking through the jungle, bushwhacking, and hit a nest of tree ants, and they instantly covered his body and were biting him all over. So he ran into another pool and just jumped in. Yeah. And drowned those bitches. Oh god, that sounds terrible. So he's having a rough go of it. Yeah. But he is making progress down the mountain. Meanwhile, up the mountain, Warren is going through it, as you might imagine. Yeah. He's always said that there would be some kind of glamour in going out in the bush in a place that you love, but now that he's staring the reality in the face, it's really not that glamorous, and he is not happy at all about it. It's just like a very traumatic way to go, you know? It's not like a quick, like, you fell off a rock face and snapped your neck and then you died. It's like, I got my legs crushed by a boulder and now I have to literally slowly die. Yeah. That's really, that's bad yeah and you know i see the sentiment of what he had always said sure i get that but yeah he said it felt so different because he's just waiting there yeah like it could take days yeah and it's just gonna be agony up until the end mm -hmm. he would go through this roller coaster of emotions psyching himself up being like i'm gonna make it Geert's gonna get down i'm gonna get rescued it's gonna be okay i'm gonna live i'm gonna live i'm gonna live and then he would dip into a deep despair, like, how is he going to get out? It's one person. He struggled on the way up. How is he going to get down? And, and then am I even going to last that long? Yeah, is he going to find help in time? Like, can they get to me? Are well, they like, going to be able to lift the boulder? Right. Who knows? Yeah. And he just kept riding this wave up and down. And a great irony dawned on him that he spent his whole life fighting to keep these untouched wildernesses intact and untouched. Right. And it would be the end of him. Yeah. And he was just like, are you kidding me? Like, it's a great cause and I applaud him for that. But also it, it makes it a little bit more dangerous, no? Right. Well, it's what some people want. Of course. Well, I mean, it's great to have untouched wilderness like let's save the earth shall we yeah <laughs> but also mm -hmm. that's not great for him and his boulder he starts looking at his notebook and he knows why Geert left it for him and he has the urge to pick it up and start writing but he also feels at the same time if he does that he's accepting his fate and it's right. over and so he picked it up and started writing a few words but this sense of finality just engulfed him and he had to put it back down. He's like, I can't go there. I need to keep my head straight. I need to get through this. Yeah, and not yet. You're not writing your final words yet. No, not yet. He started to think about his life choices and he really starts getting existential. He starts wondering, had it all mattered? Had he done enough? He goes through all his regrets, all the things he didn't do, all the things he didn't tell people about how he really felt. And then he starts kind of going through all of his accomplishments and he ends up in a place where he concludes, yeah, I've, I've done a fair bit. I've had a good life. He said the only thing that was lacking and left unfulfilled was the love in his life. And he knew that if he was going to go, he wanted to leave a message for his friends and family, the people he loved. 
And he knew that if he got out of here, he was going to want to nurture that part of his life. That makes sense. I feel like that's what a lot of people say when they're in these situations. They're like, you know, I haven't told the people that I love that I love them enough. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I teared up at this part. Like, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> you love a touching family With these type of moments. thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. So he published a book that I skimmed through. I couldn't read it all um, in depth, but you can go read it if you want. It's called A Test of Will. But he goes through, I mean, this is an abridged version of his mental journey. Yeah. But he really articulated what he felt in that moment clearly, and it's really interesting, but so dark. So, meanwhile, our savior Geert had found another creek, thankfully, and was starting to make a little more progress, but it was really treacherous because the creek bed was dry on the way up, but it was wet on the way down. So, he's slipping even more than he was on the way up, because, I mean, you're going down. Going down's always harder, and he's luckily not injuring himself serious enough to stop and at about 6 p.m that day it starts to rain again oh no at this point warren is already having these thoughts and now it's starting to rain again and he's nauseous hallucinating and couldn't keep any food down and he knew that that meant he didn't really have much time left because the water is really cold so he's starting to go into the first stages of hypothermia and that's just at 6 p.m yeah that same day jeez. but at this point he didn't feel any anger he just felt a deep despair that it was all over and there was nothing he could do about it and the water's rising again and he's not a very religious person he kind of believes that when you go that's it so this is not comforting in any capacity no he's slipping in and out of consciousness and going into the night he does make it through the night and at about three or four in the morning, down the mountain, Geert's starting to lose it. Because, remember, he didn't really have much sleep the first night, and the second night he almost got no sleep. And he's getting to the point where he doesn't even have the willpower to make another step. He starts to wonder, like, what's the point? Why am I even out here? No, Geert, you can't feel like that. I know, but he is. And he's thinking, what does it matter if I just, I just want to fall down and sleep literally wherever I am? And... As he's emptying the water from his boots, he sees Warren's signature purple socks. Like, as like a trail marker or as like he I left I guess he them, just brought or... him with him, like so that he could change out his socks. But this reminds him of what the fuck he's doing. Oh, yeah. And it gave him the extra motivation he needed to keep going. He's like, this is for Warren. Oh, you mean like in his stuff, like he had Warren socks? Yeah. Okay. I thought you meant just like saw them by happenstance on the trail. And I was like... In what universe did he stumble across Warren's purple socks? Like, yeah, that no, makes he, much more sense. He brought them with him. Okay. That would be wild. You, you go out there in the middle of the woods, you see a purple sock. And then you're like, oh, Warren, like, my I, friend. Like, I'm hallucinating. Yeah, no, I totally did not understand for a second that you meant his in his things. So this gives him the motivation to keep pushing. And he does make it to the base of the mountain. And at this point... It's been 35 hours since the boulder fell on him. Yikes. And the problem was that he has another 10 miles to go to the coast where the ferry picks people up. And remember, it only comes once a day. Right. So he's got to get there before. Jeez. So it's opening up. So the, the going is getting easier, but he's really starting to step up the pace. So he's hucking it. And so he's hucking it. <laughs> he's hucking it. <laughs> the technical term, he's hucking it. <laughs> And he got down to the... <laughs> Sorry, keep going. And he got down to the beach, 
and he immediately went into the water and puked. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. He tried to stop and make some pasta just okay. to get something in, but yeah. he knew that he wasn't going to be able to keep it down and just throw it back into the ocean. And then he got to the point where the ferry would come pick him up, and then he drew in the sand, man trapped under rock 36 hours, please help, in the sand, and just huge letters as, by, as big as he could write them. Great. And he basically just sits there to wait for the ferry. Yeah. Everything was sore. He was bleeding all over the place. He had a ton of injuries. But the urgency of the situation kept him going, kept him alert. Eventually, the fairy showed up. And this entire time, he's sitting there worrying that they wouldn't believe him. What? That was an intense worry of his. He just kept repeating. He's like, what if they are like, oh, you're just delirious, man. That's crazy. And I don't know. It was just like this big worry for him. So as soon as he told the hikers on the boat crew that somebody was trapped up the mountain they instantly believed him of course and then he was relieved okay well i guess the like adrenaline and anxiety and like journey of it all got to his head and he was just like oh god now i what if they don't believe me yeah the the lack of sleep yeah the lack of water no food that's bad yeah no good but i'm glad they believed him because why wouldn't they (laughs) that's what i was saying i was like i mean even if he's lying we're gonna go check right (laughs) yeah so The hardest part was over for Geert, but he still had to go help the rescue team find Warren. Right. And they called the chopper, and they flew over and picked him up and started to search for Warren. Geert had a sense of where Warren was, but I mean... It's the middle of the jungle. To say that he had a pinpoint of where he was is just not accurate. Like, how are you gonna... Yeah. But he kind of knows the general direction. He starts guiding them. The rescue team had to pick up a bunch of boulder removal gear or what they thought would work. Right. And they're just kind of bringing anything they can and hoping that it's going to work. So they're searching from searching for him and they get closer and closer and Warren actually hears them. And he, for the first time, just straight to attention after he's been hallucinating, slipping in and out of consciousness. Before that, he had actually dozed off and woken up to see this pool of red in the creek next to him. And he's like, what is going on? And he notices what he called a yeebie. A yeebie? Which I thought you would enjoy. <laughs> that was, it's basically a crayfish. Oh. And it was clawing at his foot Oh. while he was asleep. So he was bleeding? And he was bleeding. And he took a stick and whacked it, but it could have been there all day and he couldn't feel anything. Oof. Yeah, I mean, your legs are crushed, so of course he can't feel anything. Yeah. So after that, he goes... Slipping in and out of consciousness, the helicopter's coming. And for the first time, he feels like this might actually work. Yeah. Like he might actually get out of here. Relief. The rescue team gets closer and closer, and they finally spot him. And he's just like waving his shirt, do anything to get their attention. And they spot him. And then they go back off. And he's just thinking, what is going on? Did they see me? They should have circled to tell me that they saw me, right? Did they not see me? Well, at least they're searching for me, but you know, all this stuff, intrusive thoughts. And what they had done was they spotted him and then they were going to drop gear off and then go back to get him because they need the extra room. Oh, Oh. and I'm sure that they don't want gear doing anything that would jeopardize the mission because they have to rappel down. Right. Right. There's no space for a helicopter landing. And I'm sure that having him there would just complicate things. Yeah, that makes sense. But sucks for Warren, though. I know. (laughs) As soon as they uh, spotted Warren and Geert knew and saw that he was alive, he just finally, for the first time, that entire journey felt warm and happy instead of just 
tired, hungry, sore, and he knew that he was done. They dropped him off onto the beach, and another another helicopter came to pick him up, and then they went back. So the doctor rappelled down and saw what had happened to Warren and just assumed that he was dead. He's like, there's no way anyone could survive that long with this injury. And then Warren picked up, and he started waving at him, and he was just shocked. He's like, oh, we have a chance. He kind of assessed his injuries, and his systolic blood pressure was really low because he'd been losing a bunch of blood and was hypothermic. So he gave him an IV of medicine that would help his blood pressure, morphine, and anti-nausea medication, and just pushed it all. Wow. For the first time, Warren's like starting to feel some relief. He just feels like warm. And they get to work with hydraulic jacks to try and lift this boulder up. So basically, from the way I understand it, they just used a special like thing that you would to change your car tire. Like a car jack? Yeah. yeah. But they put it all around in yeah. a circle. Like a so huge they... one for a boulder. Right. <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't want to move it or hurt anyone else. Of they course. just want it up. Yeah. Just lift it up, pull them out, and but... then get the hell out of there. Exactly. So Just push it. So No, no, no. Don't push it. No. Don't push it. Okay. Lift it. Lift it. Lift it. Pull him. Pull. Okay. Right? Careful. Right. So they... <laughs> So they put a bunch of these hydraulic jacks under it, and they just get to pumping. <laughs> right? What was that thing you said? Hucking. Hucking. Hucking and pumping. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you're just pumping. Pumpin'. You're just pumping. And, I mean, I'd ima- I don't know how many they put under there, but I imagine it was probably seven or eight, maybe six. But, I mean, it takes a long time for that pressure to rise up, and it took them about two and a half hours to get the boulder to a point where they could pull him out. Wow. They pulled him out and then put him on a stretcher, and then they had to lift him up into the helicopter. Do you want to know what I'm thinking about? What? That might be a little bit mean to think about. Say it. You know that commercial where the girl deflates because she's smoking weed, and her body is literally like a deflated balloon? (laughs) On the couch? I'm imagining his lower (laughs) half like a deflated balloon. I'm sorry, that's maybe mean. It's an incredible recovery and <laughs> good job. Good but job, also, team. I have a joke. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. That is funny. I don't want to be. I mean, that's basically how his legs were. Yeah, I mean, I it was mean, a one-ton boulder. It's mangled. It has to be mangled. Yeah, it's a bit mangled. Yeah. So they're really careful lifting him up into the helicopter because pretty much they just have a cord and then reel him up. Right. You know. So they get him into the chopper and rush him to the hospital. And and he's still amazingly alert. They get him to the hospital and the doctor assesses his injuries and they start prodding at his legs. And he can feel pain in some of the parts of his leg. And he's like, oh yeah, that's a good sign, right? That I can feel something. And after a while, the doctor deliberates and has to come to him and say, There's been no circulation to your legs for 36 hours, and it's my professional opinion that we need to amputate both of your legs above the knee to save you, because if you don't do that, I don't think you're going to last the night, and I need your consent to do that, but I think you'll die if you don't. That's really sad and And After all this, after fighting through all of it, Warren really had to sit there and accept it 
and give him consent to amputate both of his legs. Yeah, that must have been so tough. I mean, I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind, he knew that that's what was going to have to happen. But at that point, I'm sure he was only focusing on like living or dying and not really about what was going to happen to his legs if he did survive. Right. So, so that's that's tragic. Yeah. So he did end up giving consent and they amputated his legs. But I don't know, it's so hard, especially for a person who has been that used to being self-reliant and his one love in life is hiking. Yeah, I mean, well, it was the 90s, so I don't know what prosthetics were like back then, but like he can still very well be self-reliant and probably hike at some point. It's just going to take a lot more physical therapy and learning and relearning and things like that. Of course. And we'll get to that. Okay, good. We'll get to that. (laughs) Let's get to that. But they do the operation and... He stabilizes and is alive the next day. The doctor calls Geert. He's like, would you like to talk to Warren? He's like, well, fuck yeah. Of course I want yeah, to talk to Warren. What do you mean when I talk to Warren? Like, what kind of question is that? I didn't even, I didn't even form real words in that last little I bit know. of that sentence. Like, <laughs> of course I want to fucking talk to Warren. <laughs> and that's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you heard Warren's voice and he's starting to tear up and he's like, yeah, how you doing, man? <laughs> he's like, how you doing? Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm all right. You know, I imagine is what he said. And <laughs> I imagine is what he said with his Australian accent. You know. I mean, he thanked him profusely. Of course. Thank you so much, man. I owe you my life. And there was a time there I didn't think you made it out, man. And I'm glad that we're both alive. He told him, unfortunately, they had to amputate both my legs, man. And Geert doesn't recall what was said the rest of the that phone call. He just remembers being really, really angry because after all the effort he put in risking his own life and the rescue, he lost his legs and he threw his camera bag against the wall of the hotel he was in and just really had kind of a fit. And I I mean, I can't blame him. I just feel bad for both of them because, I mean, it makes sense that that had to happen, you know, but it is such a sad thing. And it sucks that they both had like a false sense of hope that they could maybe save his legs but right i know it's just shit luck yeah it's terrible um, and it's definitely nobody's fault like it's it just sucks <laughs> yeah the other thing i was thinking about that i didn't really see anything about in the book which i was skimming so i probably missed it but i would have been thinking that whole time if you just would have picked another way up if you just would have been on the right trail if yeah, you just would have x if you just would have y that's toxic thinking i you know can't... it is but I would have gone there immediately. Yeah, but you can't put yourself there because there's no what ifs. It's just you're in that situation and that's what yeah. it is, you know? It just is. But yeah, Warren was tougher than I, I'm sure. Yeah, well, you know, he's a hiker. <laughs> yeah. How bad is the accent? <laughs> so Can somebody bad. tell it's me? so bad. <laughs> so Warren has made it out, but he did lose his legs. Warren attributes his survival to his lifetime experience of putting himself outside of his comfort zone and says that it also helps him cope and adapt to not having any legs. And bouncing back from this, Mm -hmm. 10 months later, after losing both of his legs above the knee, he climbed Tasmania's Cradle Mountain using a modified wheelchair and the seat of his pants. Wow. So within a year, he's back to climbing. That's incredible. So if there's a will, there's a way, baby. Hell yeah. I was I was like, that's insane. Yeah. Insanely inspirational. And in 2003, he became the first double above the knee amputee to reach the summit of Africa's tallest peak, Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. Which is 
19,222 feet. Holy shit. Or about six and a half thousand meters. Okay. Good, for those, good quick math. For those uh, metric people. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's insane. I don't even know how hard it is, those but it sounds huge, really hard. Those are huge accomplish. Uh, uh, those are huge accomplishments for anyone, but especially someone who lost their legs. I mean, my God. 100%. And later that same year that he summited Mount Kilimanjaro, in a spectacular effort requiring more than 2,800 pull-ups over four days, he climbed America's tallest cliff face, El Capitan. Wow. With his only his arms? Yeah. Oh, my God. So. with uh, On a cliff? face yeah how do you climb a cliff face with only your arms with using your arms well yeah but <laughs> that sounds scary yeah oh my god and i'm just gonna keep reading because he keeps going sure and keep i just going. wanted to note all of his accomplishments yeah he's also the only above the knee amputee to make the ascent of canada's landmark frozen waterfall the 600 foot weeping wall in alberta oh my god Warren said that losing his legs has changed him so much and allowed him to see things so differently that initially when he lost them, he would have, of course, chosen to get them back. But at this point, he doesn't know if he would make that choice again. Yeah. If he had, if he could change it. Right. Which I found really strange and interesting. I, I think that that's like a thing that many people say when they experience things like that or they live a certain way for a long time. Like, I know there's a YouTuber... Uh, like influencer person named Molly Burke and she's blind and she talks about her blindness and like her experience and how she goes through the world and stuff like that and she has said like although it was incredibly traumatic for me to lose my sight and it was really difficult she says now that like she doesn't know if she would choose to have it if she was even given the option so I don't think that that's completely out of the ordinary for people to say so it's just great that he's taken such a intense tragedy and like turned it into his new norm and like really embraced it and had so many successes in like such a big way yeah so that's awesome yeah but it's just unfathomable to me no, that you course. wouldn't choose to have legs well but... of course because that's the only way you've ever lived exactly you know so i, I don't know I, I would love to learn more about that mentality yeah and i probably will after this but he now works as a motivational speaker and wrote a best-selling book called A Test of Will that I mentioned earlier, uh, which you can go get on Amazon. I read it on Kindle. So That's awesome. It's actually pretty yeah, pretty damn good. It sounds like a good book. And he now lives in Canmore, Alberta, in Canada, with his partner, Margot Talbot. Nice. He's living life. Love that. And Geard knows that he'll forever be tied to Warren in the story, and is, quote, pretty proud and happy that I have got to know this very inspirational man. Yeah. Geert returned permanently to Australia and now lives in Adelaide. And he and Warren have remained close friends since the incident. That's awesome. And that is the story of Warren McDonald and Geert Van Koolen. Hell yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Jeez. What a journey. The book kind of helped put into perspective the journey of that night where he had to sit there with the boulder. Yeah. But I, the pain that was constant. I just can't imagine. No. Because, I, I don't know, I'm like grasping at straws to compare to anything I've ever experienced no. or like thought of or yeah. it's just so out of the realm. 36 hours. Yeah. And 
The only thing I could think of that came even close, which isn't close, let's be clear, is dislocating my shoulder. And I would say that was maybe two or three hours of the worst pain I've ever experienced. Yeah. But I can't imagine that pain applied to both of my legs and probably amplified 10 times over 36 hours yeah with no promise of it going away yeah no definitely like amplified a lot and i i know from the way you've told me about your shoulder that your shoulder hurt really 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 bad so like i have no way to visualize that kind of pain and i'm very grateful for that yeah (laughs) amen very grateful for that but that's, it's just so hard to like wrap your your brain around like actually putting yourself in his scenario. Yeah. Because we can sit here and talk about it all day, but like actually being there is so wildly different and like intense. It's just so, it's, it's, it's weird. 100%. Yeah, the bitch about the dislocation was, mm. is that they pushed morphine in the first half an hour I was there. Didn't do anything. I don't know if they just give me a really low dose or I don't know, but I was the the entire time I was thinking I dislocated my shoulder and I can't even get some goddamn good drugs. (laughs) Where's the drugs around this place? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's so incredibly inspirational people. And um, he's out there killing it as a motivational speaker. It looks like he has, he has a lot of big sponsors on his website, which I uh, went to. It's, uh, warren-mcdonald.com and I don't know he's he's doing keynote speeches all the time that's amazing he's sponsored by like Nike and all these big corporations I believe so. it. he's incredibly inspirational and successful and like killing it so it makes sense that these brands want to like back him for sure that's awesome so anyway what is your good thing you didn't think about that can you go first sure. I am blindsided every time <laughs> it's almost like we do it every time um, <laughs> my good thing is that i am home now and i know i mentioned at the beginning but it's it was a long trip and although i saw so many amazing people and i like am so grateful that i got to do that and like hang out with friends and family and do fun things i'm so happy to be home it's just been so long and i like can't wait to get back into like a normal schedule yeah amen because at the end of the day i am a house cat you are an indoor cat i am an indoor cat so yeah it is what it is but anyway do you you have any thought of your good thing i I do okay and there's nothing wrong with being an indoor cat no it just is yeah but my good thing is that i had a nice dinner with some of our friends i'm so sad i missed it which you did miss but we'll do it again yeah but it was really good we had like steak gnocchi subtle side salad guacamole yeah, the good works. food, good company. Yeah, exactly. Can't beat it. And there was some tea. Oh, I can't. Know, which I, I forgot. I love. Oh. I don't know. I can't tell it on the podcast. No, of but course like, not. You know, we love a little, a little dose drama. of tea at the, at the dinner party. A little tea, a little gossip. Hell yeah. If you will. Sure. Yeah. I can't wait for you to tell me because I forgot. And now you have to tell me after we Ooh. end. <laughs> oh, yeah. But. That's great. That's a really good thing. Anyway. Anyways. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to check out all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like some bonus content that you can vote on yourself, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to us at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. 
We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.